Good morning. Uh, welcome to With God at Dawn. Today we're studying the characteristics of a true prophet. I think you'll find this quite interesting. I know I surely look forward to it. Let's ask Jesus to guide us. Dear Jesus, we pray your presence with us this morning, that your spirit will open our understanding. We know that we are not the healthiest in our brain, and this time in history, we're kind of the dregs of the cup. People, our health has been deteriorating for years, and yet, Lord, I know you can still help even us to grasp these important things. In your name we pray, amen. We're going to begin with Matthew 24, verse 24. This is Jesus speaking. For there shall arise false Christs and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. If possible, they shall. There will be false prophets. First John chapter four, verse one. Chapter four, verse one. So since there will be false prophets, John tells us, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Interesting. It sounds like he's saying that prophets will have a spirit, either the spirit of God or the spirit of Satan. And we have to try them to see if they're of God. And why? Because he said there are many false prophets gone out into the world. We are to test all the prophets. First John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 say, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof you have heard that it should come, and even now already is in the world. I'm going to share my interpretation of this and leave it to you to investigate on your own. Um, that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. What did John mean? And I believe it is because if you believe in the Trinity, then... God cannot die, and that's one body with three faces, or one, one God with three titles. It presents himself in three different ways. Um, Jesus couldn't have come in the flesh if he was that eternal kind of a God. But if Jesus actually came in human flesh, which he did, and he was the actual son of God, a separate body brought out from, forth from his father, like Proverbs 8 expresses, and like Jesus over and over again says, I came forth from God and came to you, then it's possible. So it says here that if you don't believe that Christ came in the flesh, then that's the spirit of Antichrist, which even now is in the world, which at that time um, of John, Rome was in existence. There were people already believing in the Trinity pagan doctrine that came from, um, well, okay, I'm not going to go down that road. Okay, so we must confess that Christ came in the flesh. Isaiah chapter 8, verse 20. To the law and to the testimony. If they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. So, a prophet would, would be tested by the law and the testimony. The words of a true prophet will harmonize with the law of God and the testimony of all previous prophets of God. A new prophet, in other words, doesn't come along who disagrees with one of God's prophets. 
one who claims to be a prophet may fulfill every other test, but if his instruction is contrary to the Bible and the testimonies, he proves himself to be false. And that's a very important thing. There are many people who claim to be prophets. They don't harmonize with God's true prophets, and they have to in order to be real prophets of God. Okay, Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 4. If there arise among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and gives thee a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder come to pass whereof he spake unto thee, saying, Let us go after other gods which thou hast not known, and let us serve them, thou shalt not hearken unto the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God proveth you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and cleave unto him. So, it says here, if a prophet comes along, or a dreamer of dreams, and he gives you a sign or a wonder, and they happen, but he tells you to worship other gods, and he's still not a real prophet. You are not to follow him. Even if his signs and wonders come to pass, if he says to worship other gods besides um, the God that we know and love, the one true God and his Son, then you are not to believe in him. We are to exalt the true God. Okay, Deuteronomy 18, 21 and 22. And if thou say in thine heart, How shall we know the word which the Lord hath not spoken? When a prophet speaketh in the name of the Lord, if the thing follow not, nor come to pass, that is the thing which the Lord hath not spoken. But the prophet that hath spoken it presumptuously, thou shalt not be afraid of him. In other words, he's not a true prophet. Your words must come true. Deuteronomy 13, 1 through 3. A false prophet's words may come true. Um, well, we just read one through four, and we just also explained that um, if their signs and wonders do come true, but then they tell you to follow other gods, that don't, he's not a real prophet, even though his words may come true. Satan can guess at what the future may hold, right? And sometimes they will guess right. But you are not to, so even if their words do come true, if they have believed in the wrong God, then they're not real prophets. Numbers 12, verse 6. Verse 12. Verse 6 says, And he said, Hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision, and will speak unto him in a dream. A true prophet will have visions. Let's go to Daniel chapter 10. And verse 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. So there's those witnesses that we read about yesterday. 
Acts chapter 9, 7 and 8. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, but they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. So he had a public vision. He had witnesses present. Just like we talked about yesterday. Let's read in Testimonies, Volume 1, page 58 and page 70. 58 says, this is Ellen expressing her first vision. It was not long after the passing of the time in 1844 that my first vision was given me. I was visiting a dear sister in Christ whose heart was knit with mine. Five of us, all women, were kneeling quietly at the family altar. While we were praying, the power of God came upon me as I had never felt it before. I seemed to be surrounded with light and to be rising higher and higher from the earth. I turned to look for the Advent people in the world, but I could not find them. And then it continues on. But I want to read, I think the point was that they were, they had witnesses there. She had witnesses to her vision. It was in public. And so we're going to go to page 70. Brother Hyde, who was present during this vision, composed the following verses, which have gone the rounds of the religious papers and have found a place in several hymn books. Those who have published, read, and sang and sung them and have little thought that they originated from a vision of a girl persecuted for her humble testimony. So she had another vision, and there were witnesses present yet again. So that's part of it. Open or public visions will have witnesses. Let us go to okay. Let's go to First John one one through three. First John chapter one. One through three. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father, and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly your fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay, you hear, you see here that they relate what they have seen and heard. That which we have seen and heard, uh, declare we unto you. So they declare what they have seen and heard. And Second um, Peter one sixteen. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables. When we made note unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. So witnesses relate what they have seen. Now that's, that's what the point of these verses were, that witnesses, the purpose of witnesses is to relate what they've seen. Let's go to 1 Samuel 3, 1 through 10. And the child Samuel ministered unto the Lord before Eli. 
and the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision. It came to pass at that time when Eli was laid down in his place, his eyes began to wax dim that he could not see. And ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was, and Samuel was laid down to sleep, the Lord called Samuel, and he answered, Here am I. And he ran unto Eli and said, Here am I, for thou callest me. And he said, I called not, lie down again. And he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again, Samuel. And Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here, here am I, thou didst call me. And he answered, I called not, my son, lie down again. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, neither was the word of the Lord yet revealed unto him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here am I, for thou didst call me. And Eli perceived that the Lord had called the child. Therefore Eli said unto Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be, if he call thee, thou shalt say, Speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And the Lord came and stood, and called us at other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel answered, Speak, for thy servant heareth. Now let's read Daniel 2, 19. Then was the secret revealed unto Daniel in a night vision, and Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Okay. Daniel 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel had a dream and visions of his head upon his bed. Then he wrote the dream and told the sum of the matters. There are night visions and dreams. Now, in this case, there won't be any witnesses, right? Night visions and dreams will go to the prophet or prophetess alone. Let's read again in Testimonies, volume 1, page 569. This is Ellen White speaking. Again, I feel it my duty to speak to the Lord's people in great plainness. It is humiliating to me to point out the errors and rebellion of those who have long been acquainted with us in our work. I do it to correct wrong statements that have gone abroad concerning my husband and myself, calculated to injure the cause and as a warning to others. If we only were to suffer, I would be silent. But when the cause is in danger of reproach and suffering, I must speak, however humiliating. Proud hypocrites will triumph over our brethren because they are humble enough to confess their sins. God loves his people who keep his commandments and reproves them, not because they are the worst, but because they are the best people in the world. As many as I love, says Jesus, I rebuke and chasten. I would call a special attention to the remarkable dreams given in this little work, all with harmony and distinctness illustrating the same things. The multitude of dreams arise from the common things of life with which the Spirit of God has nothing to do. There are also false dreams as well as false visions which are inspired by the Spirit of Satan. But dreams from the Lord are classed in the Word of God with visions and are as truly the fruits of the Spirit of prophecy as visions. Okay, wow. So she's pointing out that at, her t at this time that she gave this um, testimony, there were people who were claiming to be prophets who were having dreams and visions that were false. And um, people who were 
triumphing over God's people who were humble enough to confess their sins. God loves his people because they are the worst, not because they're the best. And the best people are willing to humble themselves and confess their sins, apparently. Let's go to Acts 9, verse 3. And that wasn't the point of it, though. The point of it was that there were false dreams and visions happening at that time. Okay, Acts 9, verse 3. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. A great light encircles them. That's interesting. Okay, that's a great light encircles. It did. The presence of God, wasn't it? Testimonies, Volume 9, page 66. Page 66. About half past nine, I attempted to turn myself, and as I did so, I became aware that my body was entirely free from pain. As I turned from side to side and moved my hands, I experienced an extraordinary freedom and lightness that I cannot describe. The room was filled with light, a most beautiful, soft, azure light, and I seemed to be in the arms of heavenly beings. This peculiar light I have experienced in the past in times of special blessing, but this time it was more distinct, more impressive. And I felt such peace, peace so full and abundant, no words can express it. I raised myself into a sitting posture, and I saw that I was surrounded by a bright cloud, white as snow, the edges of which were tinged with a deep pink. The softest, sweetest music was filling the air, and I recognized the music as the singing of the angels. Then a voice spoke to me, saying, Fear not, I am your Savior. Holy angels are all about you. Then this is heaven, I said, and now I can be at rest. I shall have no more messages to bear, no more misrepresentations to endure. Everything will be easy now, and I shall enjoy peace and rest. Oh, what inexpressible peace fills my soul. Is this indeed heaven? Am I one of God's little children, and shall I always have this peace? The voice replied, Your work is not yet done. Again I fell asleep, and when I awoke, I heard music, and I wanted to sing. And someone passed my door, and I wondered if that person saw the light. After a time, the light passed away, but the peace remained. Oh, the light, the great light encircles those who are having visions and dreams. Let's go to Acts chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. On the morrow, as they went on their journey and drew nigh into the city, Peter went up upon the housetop to pray about the sixth hour, and he became very hungry and would have eaten. But while they made ready, he fell into a trance. Let's go to Daniel 9, 20-23. And whilst I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplications before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God. Oh, look at that. Israel referred to as the holy mountain of the his God. All right. Um, okay. Yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man, Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. And he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved, therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. 
So, um, the vision was given while praying. And that happened to Ellen as well. It's reading Testimonies, Volume 5, page 68. After I came to Oakland, I was weighed down with a sense of the condition of things at Battle Creek. And I, weak, powerless to help you, I knew that the leaven of unbelief was at work. Those who disregarded the plain injunction of God's word were disregarded, disregarding the testimonies which urged them to give heed to that word. While visiting Hillsburg last winter, I was much in prayer and burdened with anxiety and grief. But the Lord swept back the darkness at one time while I was in prayer, and a great light filled the room. An angel of God was by my side, and I seemed to be in Battle Creek. I was in your counsels. I heard words uttered. I saw and heard things that, if God willed, I wish could be forever blotted from my memory. My soul was so wounded, I knew not what to do or what to say. Some things I cannot mention, I was bidden to let no one know in regard to this, for much was yet to be developed. I was told to gather up the light that had been given me, and let its rays shine forth to God's people. I have been doing this in articles in the papers. I arose at three o'clock nearly every morning for months and gathered the different items written after the last two testimonies were given me in Battle Creek. I wrote out these matters and hurried them on to you, but I neglected to take proper care of myself, and the result was that I sank under the burden. My writings were not all finished to reach you at the general conference. Again while in prayer, the Lord revealed himself. I was once more in Battle Creek. I was in many houses and heard your words around your tables. The particulars I have no liberty now to relate. I hope never to be called to mention them. I had also several most striking dreams. Oh my. Um. Oh, how hurtful to hear people talking about you. That's possibly part of what they were saying, anyway. So people could be taken to other places while they're in vision, couldn't they? She was taken in her dream to Battle Creek to see them. Let's read in Early Writings, page 68. I have seen how the blind guides were laboring. Oh, sorry, no, Early Writings, page 32. <laughs> I almost was reading the wrong thing. Okay, the Lord gave me the following vision in 1847 while the brethren were assembled on the Sabbath at Topsham, Maine. We felt an unusual spirit of prayer, and as we prayed, the Holy Ghost fell upon us. We were very happy. Soon I was lost to earthly things and was wrapped in a vision of God's glory. I saw an angel flying swiftly to me. He quickly carried me from the earth to the holy city. In the city, I saw a temple which I entered. I passed through a door before I came to the first veil. This veil was raised, and I passed into the holy place. Here I saw the altar of incense, the candlestick with seven lamps, and the table on which was the showbread. After viewing the glory of the holy, Jesus raised the second veil, and I passed into the holy of holies. In the holiest I saw an ark. On the top and sides of it was purest gold. On each end of the ark was a lovely cherub with its wings spread out over it. Their faces were turned toward each other, and they looked downward. Between the angels was a golden censer. Above the ark where the angels stood was an exceeding bright glory that appeared like a throne where God dwelt. 
Jesus stood by the ark, and as the saints' prayers came up to him, the incense and the censer would smoke, and he would offer up their prayers with the smoke of the incense to his father. In the ark was the golden pot of manna, Aaron's rod that budded, and the tables of stone which folded together like a book. Jesus opened them, and I saw the Ten Commandments written on them with the finger of God. On one table were four, and on the other six. The four on the first table shone brighter than the other six, but the fourth, the Sabbath commandment, shone above them all, for the Sabbath was set apart to be kept in honor of God's holy name. The holy Sabbath was glorious, a halo of glory was all around it. I saw that the Sabbath commandment was not nailed to the cross. If it was, the other nine were, and we were at liberty to break them all, as well as to break the fourth. I saw that God had not changed the Sabbath, or he never changes, but the Pope had changed it from the seventh to the first day of the week, for he was to change times and laws. All right. Let's see. Matthew chapter 7, 15 to 20. So she, that was once again, she was taken to another place while in vision. Matthew seven fifteen to 20. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, then inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits you shall know them. So, a prophet is known by their fruits. Let's read in Testimonies, Volume 5, page 671. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 671. Let the testimonies be judged by their fruits. What is the spirit of their teaching? What has been the result of their influence? All who desire to do so can acquaint themselves with the fruits of these visions. For 17 years God has seen fit to let them survive and strengthen against the opposition of Satan's forces and the influence of human agencies that have aided Satan in his work. God is either teaching his church, reproving their wrongs, and strengthening their faith, or he is not. This work is of God, or it is not. God does nothing in partnership with Satan. My work bears the stamp of God or the stamp of the enemy. There is no halfway work in the matter. The testimonies are of the Spirit of God or of the devil. As the Lord has manifested himself through the spirit of prophecy, past, present, and future have passed before me. I have been shown faces that I had never seen, and years afterward I knew them when I saw them. I have been aroused from my sleep with a vivid sense of subjects previously presented to my mind, and I have written at midnight letters that have gone across the continent, and arriving at a crisis have saved great disaster to the cause of God. This has been my work for many years. A power has impelled me to reprove and rebuke wrongs that I had not thought of. Is this work of the last 36 years from above or from beneath? Christ warned his disciples, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, 
but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. And that's the truth. You shall know them by their fruits. Jeremiah 7, 13. And now, because you have done all these works, saith the Lord, and I spake unto you, rising up early and speaking, but you heard not, and I called you, but you answered not. And verse 25. Since the day that your fathers came forth out of the land of Egypt unto this day, I have even sent unto you all my servants the prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. So prophets are early risers, apparently. Okay, Jeremiah 25, verse 4. And the Lord hath sent unto you all his servants the prophets, rising early and sending them, but you have not hearkened nor inclined your ear to hear. Let's read Testimonies, volume 5, page 67. While, oh, while standing over the dying bed of my husband, I knew that others, that had others borne their part of the burden, he might have lived. I then pleaded with agony of soul that those present might no longer grieve the Spirit of God by their hardness of heart. A few days later, I myself stood face to face with death, that I had most clear revealings from God in regard to myself and in regard to the church. In great weakness, I bore to you my testimony, not knowing, but it would be my last opportunity. Have you forgotten that solemn occasion? I can never forget it, for I seem to be brought before the judgment seat of Christ. Your state of backsliding, your hardness of heart, your lack of harmony of love and spirituality, your departure from the simplicity and purity which God would have you preserve. I knew it all. I felt it all. Fault-finding censuring, envy, strife for the highest place was among you. I had seen it, and to what it would lead. I feared that effort would cost me my life, but the interest I felt for you led me to speak. God spoke to you that day. Did it make any lasting impression? When I went to Colorado, I was so burdened for you that in my weakness I wrote many pages to be read at your camp meeting. Weak and trembling, I arose at three o'clock in the morning to write to you. God was speaking through clay. You might say that this communication was only a letter. Yes, it was a letter, but prompted by the Spirit of God to bring before your minds things that have been shown me. In these letters which I write, in the testimonies I bear, I am presenting to you that which the Lord has presented to me. I do not write one article in the paper expressing merely my own ideas. They are what God has opened before me in vision. The precious rays of light shining from the throne. So she rose early yet again, rising at three o'clock in the morning. I'm going to turn to the book of Acts 13. Acts chapter 13. Verse 8 to 11. But Elamis the sorcerer, for so is his name by interpretation, withstood them, seeking to turn away the deputy from the faith. Then Saul, who also was called Paul, filled with the Holy Ghost, set his eyes on him and said, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, 
thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And now behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thee, and thou shalt be blind, not seeing the sun for a season. And immediately there fell on him a mist and a darkness, and he went about seeking some to lead him by the hand. Let's go to Second Chronicles 20, 14 to 19. Then upon Yahaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. And he said, Hearken you, all Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou king of Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go you down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and you shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. You shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand you still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground, and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites and the children of the Korhites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. God sometimes speaks through a prophet without a vision. Oh, that was interesting. Hmm. Yep. There he was, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he suddenly started talking, didn't he? He spoke through him without a vision. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 678. With a sorrow-burdened heart, I have performed my unpleasant duty to my dearest friends, not daring to please myself by withholding reproof, even from my husband. I shall not be less faithful in warning others, whether they will hear or forbear. When I am speaking to the people, I say much that I have not premeditated. The Spirit of the Lord frequently comes upon me. I seem to be carried out of and away from myself. The life and character of different persons are clearly presented before my mind. I see their errors and dangers, and feel compelled to speak of that of what is brought before me. I dare not resist the Spirit of God. So, she was spoken through without a vision as well. Jeremiah 23, 16. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Hearken not unto the words of the prophets that prophesy unto you. They make you vain. They speak a vision of their own heart and not out of the mouth of the Lord. So they never flatter. This is they make you vain. In other words, they flatter. Um, Acts eleven twenty seven to 30.
And in these days came prophets from Jerusalem unto Antioch. And there stood up one of them, named Agabus, and signified by the Spirit that there should be great dearth throughout all the world, which came to pass in the days of Claudius Caesar. Then the disciples, every man according to his ability, determined to send relief unto the brethren which dwelt in Judea, which also they did, and sent it to the elders by the hands of Barnabas and Saul. They warned of danger. He warned that there was going to be great dearth in the land. Something to be prepared. Acts 15, verse 1. And certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except you be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. <laughs> and verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissensions and disputation with them, they determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain others of them should go to Jerusalem to the apostles and elders about this question. And then Acts fifteen twenty seven to 29. We have sent therefore Judas and Silas, who shall also tell you the same things by mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Ghost and to us to lay upon you no greater burden than these necessary things, that you abstain from meats offered to idols, and from blood, and from things strangled, and from fornication, from which if ye keep yourself ye shall do well, fare ye well. So when they were dismissed, they came to Antioch, and when they had gathered the multitude together, they delivered the epistle. So, um, okay, so it settled, prophets can settle doctrinal questions. Let's go to Testimonies, Volume 1, page 76. I'm looking for a paragraph. Um, I was shown that if the true Sabbath had always been kept... There would never have been an infidel or an atheist. The observance of the Sabbath would have preserved the world from idolatry. The fourth commandment had been trampled upon. Therefore, we are called upon to repair the breach in the law and plead for the downtrodden Sabbath. The man of sin who exalted himself above God and fought to change times and laws brought about the change of the Sabbath from the seventh to the first day of the week. In doing this, he made a breach in the law of God. Okay, it settles doctrinal questions. And page 86. The means earned in the hay field was sufficient to supply our present wants and also pay our expenses to go to western New York and return. Our first conference in New York was held at Bolnay in a brother's barn. About 35 were present, all that could be collected in that part of the state. But of this number, hardly two were agreed. Some were holding serious errors, and each strenuously urged his own views, declaring that they were according to the scriptures. These strange differences of opinion brought a heavy weight upon me, as it seemed to me that God was dishonored, and I fainted under the burden. Some feared that I was dying, but the Lord heard the prayers of his servants, and I revived. The light of heaven rested upon me, and I was soon lost to earthly things. My accompanying angel presented before me some of the errors of those present, and also the truth, in contrast with their errors. 
These discordant views, which they claim to be according to the Bible, or only according to their opinions of the Bible, and they must yield their errors and unite with the third angel's message, upon the third angel's message, are meeting close triumphantly, truth gained the victory, the brethren renounced their errors and united upon the third angel's message. God greatly blessed them and added to their numbers. Let's go to early writings. So it, the spirit of prophecy settles doctrinal questions, which is really great. Otherwise, we, you know, if, if that had happened, we wouldn't have so many denominations, would we? Early writings, page 74 and 75. Okay. The Lord showed me, September 23, that he had stretched out his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people, and that efforts must be re redoubled in this gathering time. In the scattering, Israel was smitten and torn, but now in the gathering time, God will heal and bind up his people. In the scattering, efforts made to spread the truth had but little effect, accomplished but little or nothing, but in the gathering, when God has set his hand to gather his people, Efforts to spread the truth will have their designed effect. All should be united and zealous in this work. I saw that it was wrong for any to refer to the scattering, for example, to govern us now in the gathering. For if God should do no more for us now than he did then, Israel would never be gathered. I have seen that the 1843 chart was directed by the hand of the Lord, that it should not be altered, that the fingers were as, the figures were as he wanted them, that his hand was over and hid a mistake in some of the figures so that none could see it until his hand was removed. Then I saw, in relation to the daily of Daniel 8.12, that the word sacrifice was supplied by man's wisdom and does not belong to the text, that the Lord gave the correct view of it to those who gave the judgment our cry. When union existed before 1844, nearly all were united on the correct view of the daily. But in the confusion since 1844, other views have been embraced, and darkness and confusion have followed. Time has not been a test since 1844, and it never will again be a test. So once again, doctrinal questions are settled through the through prophecy, through a prophet. Um, we're going to go to Acts 16, Acts chapter 16, verses 4 and 5. And as they went through the cities, they delivered them the decrees for to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. So were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. All right, you see, I don't think that I've, yeah, I've read this before, but it never struck me what they were doing. Okay, so as the apostles were going through the cities, they had decrees that they delivered to different churches that had been uh, doctrinal questions that had been settled by the uh apostles in Jerusalem or the leaders and they established the churches established in the faith and they increased in number that's beautiful all right um Acts 16 4, 5. testimony establishes churches Acts 16 6 to 10 oh okay now when they had gone through Phrygia and the region of Galatia they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word to Asia, in Asia. After they were come to Mysia, they asked to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. 
And they, passing by Messia, came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia, and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia, and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. That's interesting, because Rome arose out of Macedonia. That was the king of the west, I think. Uh, anyway, and they were, so if um, the Lord was trying to reach them before they went really bad with pagan and papal Rome, didn't he, early on? All right, continuing on. Do not disturb on my phone. I'm getting so many texts. Hold on. Okay, I'm back. Um, so it directs the laborers. The spirit of prophecy does, and the prophets do. Let's read early writings, page 63. I saw the necessity of the messengers, especially watching and checking all fanaticism wherever they might see it rise. Satan is pressing in on every side, unless we watch for him and have our eyes open to his devices and snares, and have on the whole armor of God. The fiery darts of the wicked will hit us. There are many precious truths contained in the word of God, but it is present truth that the flock needs now. I've seen the danger of the messengers running off from the important points of present truth to dwell upon subjects that are not calculated to unite the flock and sanctify the soul. Satan will here take this possible advantage, every possible advantage to injure the cause. But subjects as the sanctuary in connection with the 2300 days the commandments of God, the faith of Jesus, are perfectly calculated to explain the past Advent movement and show what our present position is. Establish the faith of the doubting and give certainty to the glorious future. These I have frequently seen were the principal subjects on which the messengers should dwell. What were those things we should dwell? Principal subjects they are. The sanctuary in connection with the 2300 days of commandments of God, the faith of Jesus. Wow, I've got to write this down. Um, sanctuary. Sanctuary of Jesus. The commandments of God. The faith of Jesus. Makes sense. Alright. 2 Kings 8, 9 through 12. Um. So Hazael went to meet him and took a present with him even of every good thing of Damascus, forty camels burdened, and came and stood before him and said, Thy son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to thee, saying, Shall I recover of this disease? And Elisha said unto him, Go, say unto him, Thou mayest certainly recover, howbeit the Lord hath showed me that he shall surely die. And he settled his countenance steadfastly until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Hezael said, Why weepest, my lord? And he answered, Because I know the evil that thou wilt do unto the children of Israel. Their strongholds wilt thou set on fire. Their young men wilt thou slay with a sword. Thou wilt dash their children and rip up their women with child. Wow. So, the countenance reminded of, of Hazael reminded the prophet of what he had seen about him. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 65. 
been shown faces that I had never seen, and years afterward I knew them when I saw them. I've been aroused from my sleep with a vivid sense of subjects previously presented to my mind. I've written at midnight letters that have gone across the continent and arrived at a crisis and saved great disaster to the cause of God. This has been my work for many years. Yes, the prophet would see something in a dream, and then when the time came or the person, the right person showed up, then they remembered it and delivered the message at the appropriate time. Testimonies, Volume 5, page 671, which we may have already read. I'll try to find just a specific paragraph. As the Lord has manifested himself through the spirit of prophecy, past, present, and future have passed before me. I have been shown faces that I had never seen, and years afterward I knew them when I saw them. Yep. Second Kings four twenty seven. And when she came to the man of God to the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to thrust her away. And the man of God said, Let her alone, for her soul is vexed within her. And the Lord hath hid it from me, and hath not told me. Everything is not always revealed. God has his timing, doesn't he? Second Kings chapter 5, 20-26 But Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, Behold, my master hath spared Nahum and the Syrian, in not receiving at his hands that which he brought. But as the Lord liveth, I will run after him and take somewhat of him. <laughs> so Gehazi followed after Naaman. When Naaman saw him running after him, he lighted down from the chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, All is well. My master has sent me, saying, Behold, even now there be come to me from Mount Ephraim two young men of the sons of the prophets. Give them, I pray thee, a talent of silver and two changes of garments. And Naaman said, Be content, take two talents. And he urged him, and bound two talents of silver and two bags with two changes of garments. I'll gaze, I gaze, I. Okay. And laid them upon two of his servants, and they bare them before him. And when he came to the tower, he took them from their hand and bestowed them in the house. And he let them in go, and they departed. But he went in and stood before his master. And Elisha said unto him, Whence comest thou, Gehazi? And he said, Thy servant went no whither. And he said unto him, Went not mine heart with thee, when the man turned again from his chariot to meet thee? Is it a time to receive money, and to receive garments, and olive yards, and vineyards, and sheep, and oxen, men servants, and maidservants? The leprosy, therefore, of Naaman shall cleave unto thee, and to thy seed forever. And he went out from his presence a leper as white as snow. Wow. So, what was revealed to Elisha? The unexpressed desires of Gehazi's heart were revealed to Elisha. Let's go to Isaiah 38, 1-5. In those days was Hezekiah sick unto death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, came unto him and said unto him, 
Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and prayed unto the Lord, and said, Remember now, O Lord, I beseech thee, how I have walked before thee in truth and with a perfect heart, and I have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Then came the word of the Lord to Isaiah, saying, Go and say to Hezekiah, Thus saith the Lord, Thy God of David, thy father, I have heard thy prayer. I have seen thy tears. Behold, I will add unto thee fifteen years. Prayers and tears change a testimony. Yep, so the prophet gave a testimony. Hezekiah prayed and cried. And God sent the prophet back with a different testimony, a changed one. Let's read in Prophets and Kings, page 340 and 341. In the midst of his prosperous reign, King Hezekiah was suddenly stricken with a fatal malady. Sickened to death, his case was beyond the power of man to help, and the last vestige of hope seemed removed when the prophet Isaiah appeared before him with the message, Thus saith the Lord, Set thine house in order, for thou shalt die and not live. The outlook seemed utterly dark, yet the king could still pray to the one who had hitherto been his refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So he turned his face to the wall, and he prayed unto the Lord, I beseech thee, O Lord, remember now, I walk before thee in truth with a perfect heart. I have done that which is good in thy sight. And Hezekiah wept sore. Since the days of David, there had reigned no king who had wrought so mightily for the upbuilding of the kingdom of God in time of apostasy and discouragement as had Hezekiah. The dying ruler had served his God faithfully and had strengthened the confidence of the people in Jehovah as their supreme ruler. And like David, he could now plead, Let my prayer come before thee. Incline thine ear unto my cry. My soul is full of troubles, and my life draweth nigh to the grave. Thou art my hope, O Lord God, thou art my trust from my youth. By thee have I been holding up. Forsake me not when my strength faileth. O God, be not far from me. O my God, haste help. Make haste for my help, O God, forsake me not. Till I have showed thy strength unto this generation, and thy power to everyone that is to come. In other words, Hezekiah says that he could still serve God. He whose compassions failed not heard the prayer of his servant, and it came to pass, before Isaiah was even gone out into the middle court, <laughs> that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Turn again, tell Hezekiah, the captain of my people, Thus saith the Lord, the God of thy father, I have heard thy prayer, I have seen thy tears, behold, I will heal thee. On the third day thou shalt go up into the house of the Lord, and I will add unto thy days fifteen years. I will deliver thee and this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria. And I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. Wow. Amazing. So, prayers and tears can change a testimony. So we can remember God hears our prayers and tears. Mia. Uh-oh. Well, that was rather disturbing, wasn't it, hearing those noises? And I looked up and suddenly saw the clock, and I was almost out of time, so I had to add a part two. We were saying that prayers and tears will change a testimony. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. We're almost finished, though. Jeremiah 18, 7 through 10. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it? If that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil... I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them, 
And at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it? If it do evil in my sight, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. <clears throat> so there are principles governing all testimonies. Uh, yeah, principles. And they can be changed. God can, he says he can repent. That just means he changed his mind. He changed what he was going to do because he got the result he was looking for. Repentance or whatever, you know. Then he could change toward good or rebellion. Then he would have to change toward bad. Second Chronicles 21.12. That's interesting. So we can have something to do with with how God treats us, don't we? Second Chronicles twenty one twelve. And it says margins. Okay, I'll look for the word in the margins. And there came a writing twelve. That which was writ before his death. Oh, okay. And there came a writing to him from Elijah the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord thy God of David thy father, because thou hast not walked in the ways of Jehoshaphat thy father, nor in the ways of Asa, king of Judah. Now that's interesting. So Elijah the prophet wrote this prophecy uh, before he died. And here he was. It came to him. Who's him? Jehoshaphat. Talk to his father. Jehoram. Okay, so his son came into uh, to be king. And then this writing that, that Elijah wrote came to him. Wow, it was written before he needed it. And then Elijah died and he showed up. It was written before time for their delivery. Second Peter one twenty. Gotta hurry, my cat just came in. I don't want to make a part three. Second Peter one twenty. Knowing this first that no prophecy of the scriptures is of any private interpretation. That's right. Every word is far reaching and each prophet each book in the Bible can confirm the words of the other books in the Bible. Isaiah 44, 26. <laughs> Here my cat looking at me. Okay. Isaiah 44, 26. Pressure's on. Um, that confirmeth the word of his servant and performeth the counsel of his messengers. That saith to Jerusalem, Thou shalt be inhabited, and to the cities of Judah you shall be built, and I will raise up the decayed places thereof. God confirms the words. He confirms the words here. Early writings, page 59. All right, there's only two more references. And early writings, 59. I wonder if I can hang in there. Don't look at the cat. The cat's looking at me. Just don't at the cat. Okay. Um, I saw that soon it would be considered blasphemy to speak against the wrapping. It would spread more and more, and Satan's power would increase. And some of his devoted followers would have power to work miracles, even to bring down fire from heaven in the sight of men. I was shown that by the rapping and mesmers and these modern magicians would yet account for all the miracles wrought by our Lord Jesus Christ. Many would believe that all the mighty works of the Son of God were accomplished by this same power. Oh, that's frightening. So, let's see. Jeremiah thirty-six, thirty-two. You know, these prophecies are very helpful, aren't they? They can keep us on the straight and narrow. 
so that we are not deceived. Jeremiah 36, 32. Then took Jeremiah another roll and gave it to Baruch the scribe, the son of Neriah, who wrote therein from the mouth of Jeremiah all the words of the book which Jehoiakim, king of Judah, had burned in the fire, and there were added besides unto them many like words. And the prophets never take back their testimony, but rather add to it. Now, our final reference, 677, page 677 of volume 5. And then I'll summarize. Okay. Those who would in any way lessen the force of the sharp reproofs which God has given me to speak must meet their work at the judgment. To those who have taken the responsibility to reprove me and in their finite judgment to propose a way which appears wiser to them, I repeat, I do not accept your efforts. Leave me with God. Let him teach me. I will take the words from the Lord and speak them to the people. I do not expect that all will accept the reproof and reform their lives, but I must discharge my duty all the same. I will walk in humility before God, doing my work for time and for eternity. So they never take back their testimony, do they? All right, time to summarize. Um, characteristics of a true prophet. First of all, there will be false prophets. We are to test them all. The true prophet confesses that Christ came in human flesh. They're tested by the law and the testimony is the Bible. Anyone contrary to the Bible or testimonies is false. They have to exalt the true God. The words must come true. A false prophet's words may come true, but his behavior may reveal he's false. A true prophet will have visions. Open public visions will have witnesses present. Witnesses will relate what they've seen. They can have night visions and dreams. A great light will encircle them. Visions will be given while praying. They'll be taken to other places while in vision. They're known by their fruits. They're early risers. God sometimes speaks through a prophet without a vision. They never flatter. They warn of danger. They settle doctrinal questions. They establish churches. They direct the laborers. Sometimes they will see someone and it will remind them of a testimony the Lord had given them earlier. Everything is not always revealed to a prophet, but they, the unexpressed desires of the heart of people can be revealed to them. Prayers and tears can change the testimony. There is a principle governing all testimonies. Those written before their time are ready for delivery. Every word is far-reaching. God confirms their words, and they never take back their testimony, but rather add to it. So let's close with prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, this was a really large study. but so important. I pray for those listening and for myself that we be able to discern between true and false prophecy and prophets that we may need in our lives. We pray for your protection and for your guidance. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, tomorrow morning uh, we're going to study doubters' criticism of prophets. That should be interesting as well. Have a blessed day today.